five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Inside You, the College Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Otic, and we are back for an abbreviated Power Five Monday. I know it's Tuesday, but I wanted to wait until the CFP selection committee released their first ranking of the season, as well as see how the University of Maryland scandal would turn out. That has since happened today, so we are here on a Power 5 Monday on Tuesday. So let's get first started. First things first, as usual, I was right and I was wrong. I was right that West Virginia would defeat Baylor. Final score, they're 58-14. to 14. Will Greer, 353 yards. Also with the loss to Texas, the Mountaineers are back in the Big 12 race. Furthermore, if you're Baylor, you have to be concerned with Charlie Brewer being entered into concussion protocol. He is doubtful for the Bears game this week against Texas Tech. Then I was wrong that Appalachian State would defeat Georgia Southern. Final score there, 34-13. Certainly a game where Scott Satterfield's team got exposed after they got a national shout-out from Kurt Herbstreit on college game day with the attention finally on them. Unfortunately, Appalachian State was unable to get the job done, and Georgia Southern is now the team to beat in the Sun Belt. Then I was right that Utah would defeat UCLA. Final score there, 41-10. Really seeing this game live at the Rose Bowl. This game came out to penalties and dropped passes for the Bruins. Also, there was a big fumble by UCLA following Utah's opening series. Ever since that score by the Utes, UCLA really did never regain momentum. However, the defense did look good. The more interesting story here was Wilton Spates filling in for Dorian Thompson-Robinson DTR. DTR was announced as the Bruins started, but Spades took the majority of the snaps and played the whole game. So interesting to see what happens there with the Bruins going forward. Then I was wrong that Virginia Tech would beat Georgia Tech. Final score there, 49-28. to Georgia Tech doing it with Tobias Oliver filling in for Georgia Tech's usual starter, Taquan Marshall. Oliver in his backup role, 215 yards, three touchdowns. Really the story here being, again, Bud Foster's depleted defense struggling to contain the Yellow Jackets triple option. After the game, one of the Georgia Tech players even said that they only had to run four or five plays because they didn't need to run anymore. So certainly a bad loss for a Virginia Tech team that had a shot at winning their side of the ACC. Now an uphill battle for them. Then I was right that Wyoming would defeat Colorado State. Final score there, 34-21. to Nico Evans for the Cowboys, 176 yards on the ground. Another nice win for Craig Bowles' team. It should be interesting to see what happens with Bowles going forward and whether he will end up at one of the many rumored head coaching destinations he could be in the running for. Then I was wrong that Boston Miami would defeat Boston College. Final score there, 27-14. to 14. Although I will say that at the time I made my pick, it was questionable whether A.J. Dillon would play. With Dillon in the game, the Eagles outmaneuvered the Hurricanes Dylan had 149 yards, and now Boston College looks like Clemson's biggest threat in the ACC. Then, I was right that Georgia would defeat Florida. Final score there, 36-17. to Really, this game was about Jake Fromm, who put to rest any questions for the time being of him being the Bulldog starter. Also, of note is that Justin Fields, Fromm's backup, the number one rated prospect in the most recent recruiting class, did not see any meaningful playing time. Not even one snap, for that matter, in the game against the Gators. Going to be very interesting to see now what happens this weekend when the Bulldogs travel to Lexington to take on a one-loss Kentucky team. Then, I was right that, excuse me, I was wrong that Northwestern would lose to Wisconsin. Final score there, 31-17. to Jack Cohen filling in for a concussed Alex Hornibrook in his stead. The 
Badgers offense never really did get going. And the real story here being Northwestern is now first in the West, considering the way they started the season, definitely something that no one really saw coming, and they are in control of their destiny going forward. Then I was right that Kentucky would defeat Missouri. Final score there, 15-14, to 14. certainly a game that ended very bizarrely. Many people angry at the penalties that gave Kentucky their chance to win the game, which they ultimately were able to do on an untimed down. But be that as it may, Kentucky has one loss going into a game this weekend against Georgia, which could decide very well, will decide the winner of that SCCE. Should be interesting to see how that game ends up. I will break that game down in a few moments. But first, I was wrong then that Texas Tech would defeat Iowa State. Final score there, 40-31. to 31. Really, Alan Bowen's intentional grounding safety, which then gave Iowa State a two-point lead and the ball back, was the backbreaker in this game for the Red Raiders. Cliff Kingsbury's team suffering a tough road loss. And up until this game, they very much were in the hunt for the Big 12 title. Now they've got an uphill battle. And it should be interesting to see how this game plays into Kingsbury's foreseeable future leading the program. Then I was right that Washington State would defeat Stanford's final score there, 41 to 38. Gardner Minshew continues to make a name for himself in the Heisman race, 438 yards compared to Bryce Love's only 71. Wazoo is now first in the Pac-12 North and probably the favorite to win the division, assuming they continue to win out. Furthermore, Washington continues to look like a shell of its former self. And even though the Apple Cup will look like to be a very interesting game, right now the Cougars appear to be the team to beat in the Pac-12. Then I was wrong that Texas A&M would defeat Mississippi State. Final score there, 28-13. to Certainly a unfortunate, an unfortunate loss for Jimbo Fisher's team. Nick Fitzgerald continuing to put up dual threat-like numbers. And ever since they've gone back to a dual threat style of quarterback with Fitzgerald, this Mississippi State team has looked like the team many thought they would look like entering the season then. I was right that Vanderbilt will defeat Arkansas. Final score there, 45-31. Vanderbilt, though, 4-5 and five in overall, 1-5 and five in the SEC, and I'm not sure a victory over Arkansas will be enough to save Derek Mason's job, but a good win for the Commodores, especially coming off that tight loss to Florida a couple of weeks ago, a game they very much should have won. Then I was right that Penn State would defeat Iowa. Final score there, 30-24. to 24. Although if you are a Penn State fan, you have to be concerned about the leg injury that Trace McSorley appeared to have suffered. Very much an interesting story for this Penn State team right now, considering the fact that this season appears that it will look, that it will come down to that failed fourth down attempt against Ohio State. Should be interesting to see what James Franklin's future here hold. Going into next season, they'll be without Trace McSorley, a four-year guy who's been in the program, a starter for a number of years. Also, the defense will continue to be suspect, and it should be interesting to see where they go from here. Then I was right that Notre Dame would defeat Navy. Final score there, 44-22. to Ian Buck, 330 yards, and the Fighting Irish are undefeated, which, as I've said on many occasions, they'll probably need to do to give themselves a realistic shot at making it into the college football playoff. Then in a huge group of five game, I was right that Houston would defeat South Florida 57 to 36. Story here being that star defensive lineman for the Cougars 
Ed Oliver did not play in the game. He set out with a knee injury. However, in his stead, Derek King, 419 yards passing, 132 on the ground. And even though Ed Oliver has received the majority of the Heisman hype on this Cougars team, I think Derek King is finally starting to get the attention he deserves. Then I was right that Tulane would defeat Tulsa. Final score there, 24-17. The real story being Justin McMillan filling in for the Green Wave. Leading them to victory, and Willie Fritz's team is now three and five overall, but two and two in the American Conference. And then finally, I was right that Fresno State would defeat Hawaii. Final score there, fifty to twenty. And this is just continuing to set up a very important Group of Five matchup between the Bulldogs and the San Diego State Aztecs going forward. Twelve and six last weekend, so that moves along to the top stories in college sports right now. A lot has happened, especially in the last twenty-four hours. With, like I said, the first selection committees top 25 being released, as well as the conclusion of the University of Maryland, Jordan McNair scandal. So let's start first things first. Texas is back. As you've probably seen, if you follow social media, anytime Texas either suffers a huge, unfortunate loss or a big victory, you'll see social media explode with Texas is back. Hashtags, certainly after their loss this past weekend to Oklahoma State, You probably saw a number of those. Texas is, again, similar to Ohio State or even Oklahoma, for that matter, in that a lot of times when these teams win, even if the final score is 48-45, to the victory covers up the flaws with the team. With this Texas team, their defense never really did get the job done, and this past weekend they were shown up by Mike Gundy's team. Gundy continuing to show why even a down year you cannot sleep on Oklahoma State, this Cowboys team still will give a lot of teams in the Big 12 problems. Furthermore, this game would have probably been even worse had Jalen McCleskey not transferred from Oklahoma State a couple of weeks back. And now Bedlam certainly is taking on its usual fervor given that Oklahoma may have a shot at the college football playoff riding on that game. Also, if you're Oklahoma or West Virginia, you're very happy with Texas suffering its first loss in the Big 12. Now all three of those teams are very much in the running for that Big 12 championship game. And with the Mountaineers traveling to Texas this weekend, the there should be some clarity in that conference then. No surprise here. Neil Calloway is out as USC offensive line coach. Furthermore, T. Martin has been relieved of his play-calling duties by USC head coach Clay Helton. This comes after the Trojans suffered an embarrassing home loss to Arizona State this past weekend. Certainly not a surprise when we see coaches making changes like this, although they usually occur after the season. However, this is just evidence of Helton truly being under the gun. His his time with the Trojans likely running out. Now, interestingly, Helton reminds me a lot like Auburn head coach Gus Malzahn in that both of these guys received contract extensions going into the season. I would argue that both of them probably didn't deserve it, but they were able to get it. They clearly have great agents. However, now there comes a question of whether they're too expensive to buy out. Just to put this into perspective, Malzahn's buyout is rumored to be twice as much as Helton's. Helton's, though, still rumored to be in the $15 to $20 million range. Going to be a very expensive decision if USC does decide to depart with him. Seeing these personnel changes when they're occurring, shows me that the rumors of their seats being hot are clear. Many have said that Chip Lindsay's time with Auburn could very much be coming to the end. Should be interesting to see how this 
plays out for USC going forward. Looking at their schedule, they do benefit from playing Oregon State this weekend and then UCLA, two of the Pac-12's worst programs in the next few weeks. However, I am concerned about that Cal game and the Notre Dame game. Certainly, if USC were to miss out on a bowl game or suffer an embarrassing home loss to end the season to the Irish, that could spell the end for Helton. Then, another personnel move. Hardy Nickerson is out as Illinois' defensive coordinator. This comes after the Illinois were unable to stop Maryland. Final score in that game was 63-33. to What makes this interesting is that in his statement announcing his resignation, Nickerson specifically stated that health reasons were the reason for his stepping down. However, in head coach Lovey Smith's comments on Nickerson's departure, he did not mention health in any capacity. So we all obviously know what the real reason for that is. And then, and something that should surprise no one, Lincoln Riley was rumored to be one of the possible names to fulfill Hugh Jackson as the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Riley instantly shot down those rumors at his weekly press conference. However, I don't think we should be surprised that he would do it. Certainly with his team having a shot at the Big 12 championship as well as the college football playoff, Riley does not want to provide his team any reason to lose focus, especially this late in the season. Also, I think he's trying to avoid a Nick Saban-like situation like we saw Saban go through with the Miami Dolphins. He wants his team focused. It would not surprise me if Riley were to end up in the NFL in the future, but I don't think we should read too much in him saying that he has no interest in the NFL because the real opportune words were right now, as in at this moment, at the end of the season, that may change. Then, Willie Taggart certainly going to be another coach that is going to receive a lot of flack entering the offseason if Florida State is unable to continue its 36-year bowl record. Florida State suffering one of its program's worst defeats this last weekend to Clemson, truly showing how far the Seminoles are from the top of the ACC. And Willie Taggart right now very much struggling with the same things that Scott Frost did in Nebraska and that you have a fan base who expected that with a simple head coaching change, they would be right back at the top of the hill. And really, this now appears to be a long-term rebuild my bigger concern for Taggart's team is just the number of penalties that have plagued the Seminoles in the last few weeks. I believe they had 16 this last game. That's just simply a matter of coaching, attention, and effort. Certainly things that any head coach should be able to control. Also, Taggart's comments about players quitting. When I hear that stuff with a first-year head coach, it's very much concerning to me because you'd think as a first-year head coach, you'd have your guys at the height of their quote-unquote buying in. Given that you just came in, these guys now had a blank slate. A lot of the stuff that they dealt with under the past coaching staff was swept under the rug. Now you're having a question of guys buying in and you still have a number of games to go. Certainly their game in the future will be interesting to see what these Seminoles look like. If they do finish this season without being bowl eligible, it would not surprise me if Taggart's time in Tallahassee were numbered. Then... These two stories really coming together. Louisville announcing its deal with Adidas, some type of leadership school deal. And DJ Durkin is back as the University of Maryland football program's head coach. Together, these stories really show us what the true motivation for these schools are. And it's nothing to do with player safety or education or any of that. It's solely a money grab for these schools. They realize how valuable these program, sports programs are, and they seek to maximize the amount of money. Louisville entering in this deal with Adidas after the school had been dragged through the mud due to their previous 
relationship with Adidas. Also, after one of Adidas' executives was just recently convicted of violating federal law. Didi Durkin, on the other hand, a very interesting decision to bring him back. Initially, I thought there was no way that Durkin would be returned as Maryland head coach. However, it appears that the University of Maryland system made it their priority to bring Durkin back. For also, furthermore, Damon Evans, Maryland's athletic director, will also be back. However, Wallace D. Lowe, the school's president, will retire. Now, to be clear, the University of Maryland system could only fire Lowe. However, it appears from sources that the Maryland system would only allow Lowe to return as school president if he were willing to bring back Durkin. Otherwise, they would have ended up firing him. One of the things that concerns me about this, other than the obvious of bringing Durkin back, is that they basically said that the reason for Durkin's failure was more of the dysfunction within the athletic department. However, they failed to specify what the actual dysfunction was. Certainly a case of them using a big word, which can confuse a lot of people, but not really pointing to any specific reason. Really, I think the real reason here has to do solely with money. In this Maryland program that just recently made that jump to the Big Ten, they don't receive a full payout from the conference until 2021. Furthermore, they have to pay off that $200 million renovation of Cole Fieldhouse, and Durkin was immensely popular among the University of Maryland donors. Remember, a number of donors have publicly made comments supporting Durkin, offering him support, saying they desire for him to be back. With Maryland being cash-trapped, given the buyouts they've likely already had to pay to Rick McCourt and the buyout that they would have had to pay Durkin or Evans or Lowe, certainly they did not want to add to the amount of money they had to outlay. Also, those decisions probably would have cost them some of their higher-giving donors. That would have just risked leaving them further in the hole in the long term. And finally, when talking about this University of Maryland thing, it's interesting to me that they would make such a publicly divisive decision, given that they've also been so heavily connected to the pay-for-play scandal, and this could just further add to Maryland being dragged through the weeds in the next few months. But in hindsight, it should not be too surprising that they did this. I think if we're being just completely objective, if Maryland's football program were doing a little bit better. If Matt Kanata were performing a little bit better, this may have been the case. But I think after the initial big victory over Texas, the Maryland football program has essentially regressed to its usual style. And the thought is that with Durkin back, they'll finally be able to challenge the better Big Ten programs. But certainly a sad one. I know Jordan McNair's parents have already publicly commented that this was essentially a slap in the face or a kick in the stomach. Very sad to hear. Also, some people said that University of Maryland's players walked out from Durkin when he initially addressed the team announcing his coming back. But that's just how it goes. If they are able to win this weekend, when Durkin does coach the Terrafins against Michigan State, a lot of this will be forgotten just because of the current state of the news cycle. Then, just a few hours ago, the College Football Selection Committee announced its first top 25 of the season. This is the first of six rankings that will be released to the public prior to the college football playoff. Certainly one, two, three, and four, no real surprise. Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Notre Dame, followed by Michigan, Georgia, Oklahoma, Washington State, Kentucky, and Ohio State to round up the top 10. Very interesting given that Alabama and LSU play each other this weekend in Death Valley, so one of those teams will be gone. However, I do have to wonder if Alabama were to lose, given the rest of their body of work, whether they might only fall to a number four position. 
and then LSU would flip-flop them and take the number one spot overall. A bigger note to me was Washington State's being ranked eight. This is considering the fact that the Cougars do not have an impressive non-conference schedule. Really, their one, biggest win of the season came when they defeated Oregon during college game day. Certainly, considering a lot of these teams still have to play each other, that does mean that the Pac-12 does have a shot at making a team into the college football playoff, which I think surprised me. Then at nine, we had the University of Kentucky. They're seven and one. Their lone loss coming to Texas A&M on the road. The big one that really raised some eyebrows for me was Florida being ranked 11th. True, they do have a victory over LSU, who's ranked number three. But at the same time, they do have two losses to Kentucky as well as Georgia. Neither of those games really were that competitive. Also, they probably should have a third loss, barring just an absolute meltdown from Vanderbilt a couple of weeks ago. So for them to be ranked 11th higher than an undefeated UCF team, I really don't buy it. UCS being ranked 12, certainly not too surprising for me, just given the lack of impressive victories on their resume. However, looking at the group of five, then Fresno State being the only their top 25 ranked team at 23 is a bit of a cause for concern. Looking at their schedules, two other teams that aren't on the list in Houston and San Diego State, I think are more deserving than definitely Fresno State and arguably even UCF. San Diego State has a nice victory over an Arizona State team coming off that win over Michigan State. They also have a nice road victory over Boise State. Houston, their only loss coming to Texas Tech and beating an undefeated South Florida team this last weekend. Certainly, I think you could grade those teams higher than Fresno State, who their only Power 5 victory comes over a down UCLA program, and they lost to a Minnesota team, which just lost last weekend to Nebraska. But just the first ranking there, a lot of that will change this weekend. Like I said, many of these teams will play each other, but if you're a Central Florida fan, you continue to be unhappy with the way the committee views your team. So that moves us along to previewing this weekend's top Power 5 games. Starting off, we have Pitt traveling to Virginia. Virginia favored by 7.5 there. This is a Virginia team, which I think is surprising a lot of people and how well they're doing. I certainly thought they would be better this year, but they really have been able to find their way with transfer quarterback Bryce Perkins. Pitt, on the other hand, underperforming. Could be signaling the end of Pat Narduzzi's time running the program. I think Virginia gets the job done as they continue to solidify themselves as the team on their side of the Atlantic ACC. Then in a Pac-12 matchup, we've got Colorado traveling to Arizona. Arizona favored by three and a half. They're coming off the big victory over Oregon this last weekend. However, Colorado, even with them having started 5-0, and a couple of rough losses in the last week. This last weekend losing in heartbreaking fashion to Oregon State in a game that should very well have been put away. The Buffaloes certainly showing that their Achilles Hill is their defense and hurting from the loss of star wide receiver LaVisca Chenault. It appears that Chenault will return from injury this weekend. And for that reason, I think the Buffaloes get the job done. With him in their lineup, I believe in the Buffaloes offense more than I believe in the Wildcats. And I think the Buffaloes pull off the victory in the Pac-12 South matchup here. Although in the long run, it won't do much as Utah appears to be firmly in the lead of that South division. Then we've got Texas A&M traveling to Auburn. Texas A&M coming off a loss. Auburn, they're favored by five points there. Auburn's certainly a story of a season essentially thrown to the wind. Although if they were able to defeat Alabama in the Iron Bowl, that would go a long way for appeasing those who want head coach Gus Malzahn to be fired. Jimbo Fisher's team 
currently showing that they're going to suffer a couple of growing pains as they move towards that championship, national championship level that they're looking for. However, I think that Fisher's team gets the job done here. Auburn this year, very much concerned with their offensive line running the ball. Texas A&M has one of the better defenses in all of college football. And I think their offense is just enough to get the job done here in an ugly game. Then we've got Iowa State traveling to Kansas. Iowa State favored by 14 and a half here. They've got two big back-to-back victories over Texas Tech and then two weeks ago over West Virginia. However, Kansas coming off their own victory, certainly for Kansas with that victory and with the defense that's one of the top turnover defenses in the country showing some life. Puka Williams has looked very good for the Jayhawks. And I've got the Jayhawks pulling off the upset here. A lot of teams in this situation, when their head coach has been so publicly detracted in the media and rumored to be fired, would just simply quit. But I have not seen that from the Jayhawks. They appear to continue to be fighting for David B. And I think they pull off the upset here, which could go a long way to B's returning next year. Then we've got West Virginia traveling to Texas in a huge Big 12 matchup. Texas, they're favored by 15 points. Excuse me, Texas, they're favored by a point and a half. Certainly, this game is going to come down defense. Both teams can score and both quarterbacks can sling it. I think the difference here is that while West Virginia's defense isn't great, it can stop some people, whereas Texas' defense has shown consistently that they really do struggle. And that's sad given the number of highly rated defensive backs they brought in this past year. I think that we're going to see Wilger get the job done. And it's going to set up a huge Big 12 matchup the last weekend of the season when Oklahoma travels to West Virginia for a game that could be a preview of the Big 12 championship. Then we've got Kansas State traveling to TCU. TCU, they're favored by eight and a half points. Gary Patterson's team continues to struggle. They are just simply bad, and there's not much else to put it. Even with the turning to Michael Collins, the offense still hasn't been able to get the job done. And they continue to be hurt by the loss of star explosive playmaker Kamonte Turpin. This is the exact type of game where Coach Snyder shows why he's a legendary coach. It may be ugly. It may not be pretty. But I think that when all is said and done, Kansas State pulls off the upset here. Then we've got Georgia traveling to Kentucky in a huge SEC East matchup. Georgia favored by nine points there. And a lot of people are sleeping on the Wildcats. I have the the pleasure of watching Kentucky play this season. They are a very good team. They make good teams look bad, and they make you play their style of football. There is a very strong possibility that the Wildcats keep this game close and end up winning on a field goal. However, not a big enough one for me to pick the Wildcats, but I certainly will be rooting them. Georgia likely going to take that one there pretty handily. Should be interesting, though. Keep in mind that Terry Wilson was very much forced to – come into action last weekend against Mizzou. Certainly could be a good confidence booster for him. If both he and Benny Snell are firing and Josh Allen does what he does best, bothering Jake Fromm, very good possibility that the Wildcats get the job done here. And looking at the rest of their schedule, very likely that they end up coming out of that SEC East at 11-1. and However, they would then likely get smoked by Alabama. But a very fun SEC each matchup there. Then in Big Ten play, we've got Penn State traveling to Michigan. Michigan favored by 10 there. And like I said, with this Penn State team really going to be the story of lost opportunities, Trace McSorley 
a little unclear the exact extent of his leg injury, although he was able to run for a nice 71-yard touchdown last weekend following his having suffered that injury. But looking at this Michigan team, their defense is firing with Chase Winovic, and that is without Rashawn Gary, who appears to remain out while he's dealing with his shoulder injury for the time being. And Shea Patterson and co. have been able to do just enough to get the job done. And I think the Wolverines get the job done here as they continue to set up a very important Big Ten matchup between them and Ohio State to end the season. Then Notre Dame fresh off their victory over Navy in San Diego, travels to Northwestern. Notre Dame favored by nine and a half here. Northwestern, the big story being that they're first in the Big Ten West at the moment. Clayton Thorson and co. are doing it even without the loss of Jeremy Larkin, who was forced to retire due to a medical issue. However, Ian Book and co. appear to have finally got it together. They've got one of the best defensive linemen in the country in Jerry Tillerson, very much an underrated defensive lineman given just the sheer number of impressive D linemen this year in college football. But I think Brian Kelly's team gets the job done here. However, looking at their schedule, they still have to play Syracuse, Florida State, and USC. And I think that's where the trouble will come for the Irish. Then, in arguably the biggest matchup of the weekend, Alabama traveling to LSU. Alabama favored by 15 points here. This is a game where we're going to find out how good that LSU defense is. Greedy Williams is going to have to step up more than usual, given the fact that Devin White is out for the first half after being after receiving a targeting penalty in the Tigers' last game. Certainly going to be interesting to see how Tua Tagovailoa responds if he does end up throwing his first interception of the season. The Tigers' defensive backs have a way of flustering wide receivers, getting their heads, and making them play down to a level that we're not used to seeing. We very much saw this in LSU's game against Ole Miss. However, I think Alabama right now is just a cut above everyone in college football. They get the job done here, and I think Nick Saban and co. continue to show why they are the dogs in the SEC West. Then we've got Iowa traveling to Purdue. Purdue favored by two and a half. Iowa coming off a tight loss to Penn State this last weekend. Purdue coming off a loss of their own after that big win over Ohio State two weekends ago. I think we're going to see Kirk Francis' team utilize their tight ends, Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, as well as we're going to see Iowa's quarterback just make smart decisions. and They'll pull off a tight victory here over a Purdue team, which seems to have reverted to its usual style of play. However, it should be interesting to see how this game tracks nationally. Certainly, Jeff Brom continues to cement himself as arguably the hottest hire in college football, and how the Boilermakers end this season will definitely impact whether he ends up coming back next year. Then, in a game which I think a lot of people are underappreciating, we've got Missouri traveling to Florida. Florida favored by 5.5 there. They're coming off a loss to Georgia in the world's largest cocktail party. This is very much a game where I can see Dan Mullen's team coming in hungover and sleepwalking their way through. Drew Locke and co. could come in and score a couple of touchdowns early and put the Gators in a hole which they cannot come back from. It's for that reason that I've got Missouri pulling off the upset here, even with them coming off a tragic upset loss of their own last weekend to Kentucky. And then finally, in an important Pac-12 matchup, we've got Utah traveling to Arizona State. Utah favored by a touchdown there. Certainly a game that's intriguing to me, having seen Utah live this past weekend when they took on UCLA. Utah, very much a team that just knows how to play their style of football. Brent Hundley is good, but he's certainly a limited quarterback, and the defense appears to be just good enough to get the job done. 
Arizona State, on the other hand, even with their only real offensive weapons being Manny Wilkinson and Kill Harry have shown that Harry is absolutely undefendable. He had an amazing highlight reel Odin Beckel-like style catch this past week against USC. Also, this game is at home for the Sun Devils. And I think coming off that big confidence builder over USC, we see Arizona State get the job done here, in which will be just another big victory for Herm Edwards as he looks to cement his place in the Pac-12. And this comes after the Sun Devils received a huge commitment from the son of former NFL wide receiver Chad Johnson, Chad Johnson Jr. So that's it for me for today, guys. Let me know what you think about the initial college football selection committee's top 25. A lot of big football games this weekend. Similar to last weekend, we're going to get a lot more clarity about what these conference championship games will look like. And also the playoff four will certainly end, be different going into next week after this weekend. I will be back tomorrow to go over my Heisman picks, although it's really no surprise. It's two attack of low and everyone else. Also to start looking at some of these potential conference championship games and more importantly to preview this weekend's top group of five games. If you think there are a lot of important power five games this weekend, there are just as many group of five games as a group of five team looks to maneuver itself to that New Year's Six Bowl. So that's it for me today, guys. It is Inside You, the college sports podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Audic, signing back, signing out, and see you soon. Bye.